0: Good morning,
1: Bill. Privileged to be here.
0: Yeah, thank you for your time. What I want our listeners to learn today is perhaps the history of Amy Coney Barrett and how she's touched on maybe some of the biggest rulings in the country and what viewers can expect from the hearings once they get underway. So that's, that's what today is about. You are in Chicago, I'm assuming.
1: I am currently in Washington, D.C., but I oh. do live in Chicago.
0: Gotcha. So you, you, and you split time between Chicago and Madison, Wisconsin, correct?
1: That's correct. My law firm, Eimer Stahl, is headquartered in Chicago, but we also have an office in Wisconsin where I grew up.
0: All right. And you clerked with Amy Coney Barrett on the Seventh Circuit in the years 2017 and 2018.
1: I was privileged enough to clerk for her during her first year on the court. I joined three other co-clerks, and we... Comprise her first set of law clerks. It was quite an experience. Mm.
0: How's that work? Does she pick you, or do you pick her? <laughs> how how does <old> it?
1: <laughs> well, I, I think like any job, uh, an aspiring clerk will apply to the judge that she or he would like to clerk for, and if the person's so lucky, the judge will bring that person on board. And in my case, I sent an application to Judge Barrett, and I was privileged enough. Uh, for her to ask me to join her in her first set of clerks.
0: Uh-huh. That, just give me an eye. I'm a neophyte when it comes to this stuff, so my questions sure. are basic, and I'm just trying to get an understanding. What does she see in someone like you that she says, come join my team?
1: Well, I, I think that would be a better question for her, uh, but perhaps I could flip the script a little bit and tell you what I saw in her and why I decided to apply sure. uh, to her chambers and why I consider myself so privileged and fortunate. Uh, to have clerked for her Uh, judge barrett is brilliant Uh, she's courageous and she's fair and she's also someone who holds an unrivaled sense of humanity humility and humor given her tremendous accomplishments and responsibilities and that is uh, someone who i i wanted to hitch my wagon to and learn from
0: Mm -hmm. let's get to the big issues then john how well do you know her how would you characterize that
1: Uh, I know Judge Barrett uh, pretty well. I I spent a year with her uh, working day in and day out on uh, cases and I was able to see the most admirable characteristics that I would consider in a person as she confronted difficult issues as well as her professional competence to take on a very difficult job deciding complicated legal issues.
0: Roe versus Wade, 2017, I believe she is on record by saying it is settled precedent, although she disagreed with that. When this comes up at a hearing, and no doubt that it will, how will she answer that query?
1: Uh, Well, Bill, you are right. Uh, Judge Barrett has said that Roe v. Wade is settled precedent. And perhaps I can take a step back and I could describe first how she decides cases, something that I witnessed first hand and then we can get into any specific questions that you might have. Uh, but in the Court of Appeals, much like any other appellate court, including the Supreme Court, will receive briefs where the appellant or the petitioner uh, or uh, the plaintiff will ask the court to do something to resolve a case to resolve a, a case or a controversy. And in our case, I witnessed Judge Barrett uh, receive the briefing, the written briefing, And she would analyze every issue uh, and every argument and give due weight to the arguments while considering the facts and the precedent and the record of the case before rendering any type of judgment. And she would also listen to the oral argument. She would ask incisive questions to each side before she would uh, come to a conclusion. And that's the way that we can expect a justice spirit to rule on any case before her. She would approach each case with an open mind and a foundational commitment that either side might be right. And her decision would be what only the law requires. Okay. Now so you bring up Roe, yeah. v, you bring on, up Roe v. Wade and, and I, will, I will get into it. Uh, she has not decided any cases, any abortion cases uh, on the court of appeals for the seventh circuit where she currently sits. Uh, There have been some cases uh, tangentially related to abortion, but she has never decided any cases. And and one case in particular, a case called Price v. Chicago, uh, Judge Barrett joined a decision that upheld a law that created buffer zones designed to protect abortion patients. And that is something that the First Amendment requires under freedom of speech and freedom of expression. And it's consistent with her application of the law uh, neutral application of the law without any type of personal consideration or public policy preference.
0: So if I am to interpret her comment on that, if, if if you're saying it's settled precedent, then that would suggest that Roe v. Wade stands as national law. The critics would argue that she has tried to chip away at abortion laws on the state level. Is that charge true or not?
1: That charge is not true. Uh, Judge Barrett has not ruled on any abortion case as a a federal judge. And in fact, and procedurally, I I can describe two cases, um, and the procedure is important here. Uh, While she was not on the panel, so she was not one of the judges that decided the case, uh, Judge Barrett dissented from rehearing the case with the full court. And Judge Barrett would have wanted to hear a case involving an abortion argument, And the full court did not. And she dissented saying, I think the full court should hear that. The losing party then went up to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court in a seven to two decision vindicated Judge Barrett and said the full court should have heard it. And if the full court heard it this way, it would have had a different outcome.
0: On the Affordable Care Act, the ACA in 2017, she um, weighed in, suggesting Chief Justice John Roberts push the act beyond its plausible meaning. Um, How would she explain before the Senate committee how she might rule, given there's an Obamacare case that will be before the court about a week's time after the election, November 3rd?
1: Well, we'll have to wait uh, to hear what she has to say, but I would emphasize her decision-making process that I described earlier, her approaching every case with an open mind and A commitment to giving each side uh, equal weight and considering the merits the facts and the record of the case Um, but those comments that you made uh, i'd like to put them in context uh, before going any further Uh, judge barrett made those comments that you just described as a professor as a law professor a few years back and specifically she made those comments in a book review article then professor barrett wrote about, in her book review article, what animated another professor, a Georgetown law professor named Randy Barnett, to write a book about the power of judicial review. And in that book article, she gave a descriptive account of what the dissenting justices in the case called NFIB v. Sebelius said about the Affordable Care Act. So she was objectively and descriptively describing what the dissenting justices said And it's important to note here, Bill, that the case in NFIB v. Sebelius, which she described descriptively in her article, presented a different question than the one that's before the court right now. The one that's before the court right now involves a a different statute, a statute that was passed in 2017 called the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017, which is central to the question in California v. Texas, which is the case that the Supreme Court will hear in the one that you referenced and presents a wholly new issue uh, for the court to consider. Uh, So it's not the same as what she had descriptively described earlier when describing NFIB v. Sebelius.
0: Hmm. In that case, then, if she's on the bench and this case comes before her, it's an open question as to how she would rule. That's what I take from your answer.
1: That's right, Bill. Uh, It is an open question because she approaches each case with an open mind. And she would not prejudge or predetermine any outcome. And that would be consistent with your statement that it's an open issue. Okay. And then She she would review the merits of the arguments. She would review the facts and she would determine what the law requires and follow the law.
0: And there is, the, there, there is this question as to whether or not Chief Justice Roberts classified it as a tax, and if you take away the tax, and then the whole law falls apart. So that's out there as well. There's also this question about her faith. She's deeply Roman Catholic, uh, the mother of seven, two adopted children from Haiti, youngest child, I believe, special needs to some capacity is my understanding, uh, was a professor at Notre Dame, and apparently was was very well-liked. But Senator Dianne Feinstein, during her hearing in 2017, has this famous quote where it's where she stated, the dogma lives loudly within you, referring to her religious dogma. What would lead Senator Feinstein to make a comment such as that? Bill,
1: I, I don't know. Uh, that would be a, a question for Senator Feinstein. Uh, but what I can tell you is that Judge Barrett uh, it takes her faith very seriously, like tens of millions or perhaps hundreds of millions of uh, Americans. And what I have seen is that her faith has informed her and, and as a, it is emblematic of how she treats others. Uh, she will treat anybody, anybody who's before her on the court or anybody that she encounters, her neighbor, uh, as she would want to be treated herself, uh, the golden rule, as we would say, In fact, what I've seen, she's treated everybody better than she treats herself. Uh, She consistently puts others before her own self. uh, And I think those values undergird her jurisprudence as well. She puts the law and the Constitution before any personal views that uh, she may hold or any public pressure that she may receive. But she's also made very clear, Bill, that her faith has no bearing on her role as a judge. And that's something that I have seen firsthand. Uh, In fact, she has stated consistently, this is an important lesson that she taught me while I was with her, is that a good judge does not always like the results that she reaches. A good judge will apply the law neutrally and will follow the law wherever it will go. In fact, she has said that a bad judge is someone who likes the results that she always reaches. Uh, And I think that's really important for us to consider as we go through this process.
0: Mm Why is the comparison always come back to Justice Scalia? You know, the, the critics say that Scalia reads selectively. I'm, I'm certain you have heard that. But wh- why does she say that she wants to be in his mold in interpretation of law?
1: Judge Barrett uh, clerked for Justice Scalia, much like I clerked for Judge Barrett. She clerked for Justice Scalia, and Justice Scalia was a mentor to her. And Judge Barrett has spoken about Justice Scalia in a few different ways. Uh, First, she spoke very movingly about Justice Ginsburg. Uh, She spoke very movingly about Justice Ginsburg when she first addressed the nation uh, last week, Saturday. And she also talked about the relationship with Justice Scalia and Justice Ginsburg. And that's something that I have seen her model herself after. She's treated everybody with the utmost dignity and respect, even if there's a a disagreement. She would never let a professional disagreement, for example, if she dissents or if someone dissents from one of her opinions, uh, that interaction would never affect her personally. Uh, She treats everybody with dignity and respect. Uh, So that's one aspect. Another aspect, as we all know, Justice Scalia was a wonderful writer and a wonderful legal thinker, and just as much, Judge Barrett is also a wonderful Uh, writer, legal writer, and a wonderful thinker. And she's modeled that type of clarity of thought as she approaches the difficult legal issues that she faces, and as she communicates those as well. And then lastly, uh, Justice Scalia loved to debate uh, and loved to debate arguments and different intellectual points of view on the law. And just as so, uh, Judge Barrett does the same thing she did. So as a as a law professor with her students, as you may hear, interviewing other uh, students of hers. And uh, as a judge to the law clerks, she would continually press us on different points of view and ask us to defend our positions. Mm -hmm. And in those three ways, uh, she models herself after Justice Scalia.
0: I saw an interview with you recently. I'm not sure if it was a week ago or perhaps beyond that.
1: It might feel like a a few years ago
0: at this point. Right on. I agree with that, hashtag 2020. Um, There was this conversation about textualism implying that there is consistency in the law. And there are those who say textualism is the incorrect way of reading the law because you are, quote, constrained by the words of the law. How would she describe the way she interprets the words of law?
1: Uh, well, though well, it's important to understand that Judge Barrett uh, is a legal scholar in statutory interpretation, and she has stated that she is a textualist. And textualism confines judges to the words of the statute, or in the case of the Constitution, which a close cousin of textualism is considered originalism. It confines the judge's discretion, and it confines the judge from imposing personal views or public policy preferences because the judge is confined and constrained by the words on the paper. The judge can't deviate from those words when they're clear. At times there are ambiguities in the law and there are also canons of construction that judges can use to interpret those words. For example, a judge could take a look at where the word falls in a sentence. So if I were to say, I love basketball, football, and soccer, people would understandably construe those words as meaning within the confine of sports and not, for example, food. So there are canons of construction and that's something that judge Barrett knows very well. And we should all be uh, so proud and happy that one of our nominees to the Supreme court is someone Who's a prolific scholar in statutory interpretation and would understand the difficult legal questions involving statutes that are presented to the Supreme Court and her incisive legal reasoning to be able to decode those questions and then communicate the result neutrally?
0: You're listening to Hammer Time. My guest today, John Adams. We will continue right after this. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Back with John Adams, a former clerk for Justice Amy Coney Barrett. Two more questions for you, John. The left has called her dangerous. Some on the left have they suggest that if she's seated on the court, it would be the biggest shift in 90 years. Where does that come from?
1: Bill, I don't know where that comes from. And in my view, it's without any foundation. Judge Barrett has received bipartisan support on numerous occasions uh, as a judge. First, she was confirmed with bipartisan support to the Seventh Circuit. She received unanimous and bipartisan support from her Notre Dame law faculty, made up of people of all different ideologies and views, but they were united in Judge Barrett and her neutral application of the law. And her co-clerks that she served with on the United States Supreme Court when she was a clerk in the late 90s when she clerked for Justice Scalia also unanimously supported her with bipartisan support. They all came from different ideologies. They all clerked for different justices, all the nine, but nevertheless, they unanimously supported her. And so it's without foundation to suggest that she would do anything other than apply the law neutrally without any consideration of public pressure or personal views.
0: Mm. How nasty do you expect the hearings to become? Is this Brett Kavanaugh level stuff, or what do you expect?
1: Bill, I I expect Judge Barrett to move through these proceedings with the same type of poise, grace, and fortitude that she has conducted herself in life. Uh, She has faced tremendous adversity and opposition in various stages of life. But nevertheless, she continues to move forward uh, with an uncommon sense of grace and uh, dignity whenever she faces opposition. And we will see that on full display during the confirmation hearings.
0: We expect that to happen, possibly based on the calendar, the 12th of October. That is a Monday. So far, that's when we believe it will begin. John Adams, thank you for your time today. We will speak again. Bill, thank you very much. You bet. I'm Bill Hemmer. This is Hemmer Time. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.